Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, November 20th, we are studying Amos chapter 8, verses 7 through 14. The prophet nears the climax of his preaching of judgment. Creation groans under the weight of Israel's idolatry, and the people themselves will experience the most horrific famine possible, a famine of the word of the Lord. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Stephen Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Benton, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thanks. Good to be back. Pastor Preuss, get us started with some context for this section of Amos today. What do we need to know that's going to help us as we dig in? Well, when we're, we're looking at this section of Amos, we got to remember that uh, Amos is in the midst of seeing visions from the Lord. And so he's already seen the locusts and uh, the, the drought by fire, uh, the plumb line, uh, and now here's the the summer fruit has just happened that he he saw the the vision of that too, uh, and this is before the Lord Himself then appears to Amos uh, in in a vision. So within that context, we know that Amos has been interceding with the Lord uh, in the first two visions, and the Lord relented. Uh, but then with the third and the fourth visions, and this is kind of after the fourth vision, uh, the Lord does not relent, and He is uh, going to pour out His wrath his judgment upon Israel for their impenitence, uh, and this is inevitable. It's going to come, and we know it's going to come in the form of the Assyrians. So it's kind of the context, more immediate context of what's going on. Uh, and so I'd probably say this is this is kind of finishing up the second section of, of Amos, because uh, chapter 9 really kind of finishes off in a, in a different way uh, what what Amos is all about. So perhaps we've got some commentary on that fourth vision in preparation for the the fifth and final vision. Yeah, so that's kind of what's going on. I mean, if you look at at chapter eight in the beginning of it, uh, you know, the Lord shows him uh, a basket of summer fruit and asks him what he sees, and uh, he he says it's this basket of summer fruit, and he says, okay, well, this is the end of of Israel. Um, you know, it's ripe now for their destruction. And so when we are looking at the text for today, we're going we're gonna to hear a lot of the same of what uh, was said in the first several verses of chapter 8, uh, that these, these people who used to sing in the temple are now going to be wailing. Uh, there are going to be so many dead bodies thrown everywhere. There's going to be silence. Uh, and... Uh, it's going to come upon them because of, of what they have done and how they have worshipped, or, or maybe the lack thereof, because they have not treated the people whom God has placed in their lives well, nor have they worshipped according to the way that God has given them to worship. Uh, they don't look mm-hmm. at the Lord, uh, and they, they, they look at the, the worship of the Lord in a, a very superficial way without faith uh, 
And as he ended up in the, the last uh, part, he talks about how they they are uh, just waiting for the Sabbath to be over so that they can go and, and do other things, you know, and, and, and make some money and, and really uh, betray the trust of the poor and, and take advantage of others. So they're using the name of the Lord in a very idolatrous way, in so many ways, uh, in syncretism, making the Lord appear as if he is one with these other gods, uh, in their worthless worship that is, is no good before God because it is not based upon his, his commands, it's not based upon uh, faith in his promises. So this is, this is really being set up here uh, for us to see that there's no chance for, for them to retreat on this. God has has made up his mind. He's given them so many chances, uh, and and it's going to come. The judgment mm-hmm. is going to come. And they've been using the Lord's name in an idolatrous way, and so now the Lord is going to use his name against them. Rather than using his name, placing it upon them for their good, now that they've taken his name in vain, they've used it in these these awful ways, he's now going to use his name against them to to bring this judgment upon them. So so with that, let's go ahead and, and read the verses that we've got before us today. This again is Amos chapter 8, verses 7 through 14. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account and everyone mourn who dwells in it and all of it rise like the Nile and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt? And on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only sun and the end of it like a bitter day. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. In that day, the lovely virgins and the young men shall faint for thirst. Those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, as your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. There's the, the text that we have before us, Pastor Preuss, and, and once again, we, we see how Amos just continues to get darker and darker in, in his judgments that he's, he's preaching. It, it just it gets awful. And, and in this section, he, he starts by saying that the Lord has sworn by the pride of Jake, which is a, a, maybe a, a strange way of, of phrasing it. What, what's happening here with the Lord swearing by the pride of Jacob? Yeah, so I mean, he he should be the pride of Jacob, and then uh, Jacob being Israel, all of Israel, all of the people of God, he should be their pride. Uh, and he's sworn by his name before we saw in chapter six, uh, but now he's he's kind of using this as a rhetorical way of saying that uh, their pride should be uh, him, but they are too prideful to to share in in the joy that that their father Jacob had. And so what is their boasting in? It's, it's not in the Lord and his promises. It's not in his actual deliverance of the people from Egypt and their redemption and, and God making them a people among all the nations. 
uh, and promising them salvation through the seed that is to come. They're now boasting in themselves in the midst of their prosperity. So they, they're they not, instead of emulating the righteous and merciful Lord, they do whatever satisfies them and despises ways. Uh, and Jeremiah 9 is a good way of kind of understanding this in the Old Testament. Let him who boasts, boast in this, he says, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Well, they don't boast in this. They don't boast in or delight in any of these things. Uh, rather, they the steadfast love of the Lord they take advantage of. They do not seek justice for the poor, for the oppressed. They take advantage of them. Uh, they're not interested in the righteousness or salvation of the Lord uh, and his steadfast love. So what they're boasting in, and it's in the midst of their prosperity, which should tell us the danger of what prosperity can be, as the proverb says, you know, that we can we can end up forgetting God in the midst of our, our uh, wealth and possessions and good times. Uh, but in the midst of that, they're boasting in the things that they have. You know, I, you think about today, maybe, and uh, people just boasting in their houses and their cars and their their uh, electronics or their family situation or their, their sports or whatever it is that they find so precious in their lives. And they think it's just going to last forever. At least they act like it. And and that's kind of the way that these people are. It's a very prosperous time under Jeroboam II, and they know it and they are enjoying it. And, you know, because God has not yet in his patience meted out entire judgment upon them, even though he's given them signs, uh, they are they're just taking advantage of these good times and acting as if God's never going to pour out his wrath. So he's, he's getting really very uh, specific about their pride. Uh, mm. They should have pride in, in, in him, but instead their pride is in themselves. Mm. It is a very ironic turn of phrase here in, in Amos chapter 8. You mentioned earlier how the Lord swears by himself in, in chapter 6. And there what he swears by himself is that he abhors he says the pride of Jacob there, in that sense, the pride of Jacob that he abhors is what you're exactly describing, the the boasting that they were doing within themselves, thinking that it was their own accomplishments that have, had brought this prosperity. Here he he repurposes that phrase and says what, you're, what you should have had pride in was not yourselves, but in me. And, and so he, he turns that around ironically, as we've often seen Amos do in, in order to make that point to, to remind them how their boasting got them entirely off track. And, and because their boasting had gotten them entirely off track, what the Lord swears here is, is really quite terrifying. Absolutely. Uh, and that's a good point with the, I mean, the rhetoric of Amos is really remarkable. Uh, and that, that he turns this around on them is, is God's way of showing that he, he is uh, uh, in, the one in control of all of this, and uh, is, is quite a neat turn of phrase, uh, even in the midst of such a terrifying thing. But yeah, this terror is a word that I, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but this is the most terrifying thing I think I could possibly think God would ever say to me, and that is that surely I will never forget any of their uh, deeds. Hmm. Uh, if God doesn't forget and remembers my sins no more, right, this, this is the opposite of forgiveness. This is, I have to face God's wrath. I have to face, I have to be guilty and face the punishment uh, for my guilt. 
uh, rather than God uh, taking that guilt away. So, you know, I think of Hebrews 10, verse 31, whenever I think of the terror that this should strike into us, uh, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Uh, If you're going to fall into his hands with no mediator, no no one to forgive your sins, no no sign of mercy, then there there's a just utter despair should come upon anyone to hear that, except for those who would mock God and say, "Oh no, he won't actually do it." Um, and so it's it, this is a terror that should should come into our consciences. Uh, and, and in the Lutheran Confessions, we speak this way as you know that's what the law should cause us to to have in our consciences as a terror. If we were to consider you know, God only according to the law, only according to judgment. Uh, this is the kind of kind of thing we sh- we should expect Him to say. Surely I will never forget any of your deeds. Um, and when we think about then Israel, uh, we've been you know you've been going through this with with sharper iron, but the, there's so much material for their idolatrous deeds uh, that condemn them, and it's it, it's like being read out on a scroll here, literally. Uh, for Amos, uh, for everyone to see what they have done wrong. And so if he's not going to forget any of their deeds, they've got no chance. Uh, and it shows how God is very serious. You know, a lot of people take this forgiveness as if it's because it's a free thing for us to receive, as if there's no price for it, right? Christ died for for all of the sins of the world and faced the judgment of, of God uh, on the cross. And, and that means that it's a, a dear thing in God's sight to, to practice justice uh, and and to be a just God. He's very serious about punishing sin, uh, and it should t- teach us the importance then of clinging to the word of God's mercy uh, and the mercy that the Lord had been offering to them, but they had continually refused. So yeah, it's it's this is probably the most terrifying thing to hear from the Lord, and we're going to hear more more on on that uh, as we go on as to what that means. You know, if I'll never forget any of their deeds, what is what does that mean? What's he going to do then? Uh, and right. we see the famine of, of the word. So right, right. The, I mean, the the terror of it is, as you're talking there. You know, one of the verses that came to my mind was was Psalm 130, where where is a very comforting verse that says, "If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared." The the picture that I've always had in my mind is is uh, this huge whiteboard or chalkboard where you, you would have just a all the tick marks for every single sin, or, or perhaps even worse, you know, literally written out, or or maybe even a video screen. It's a it's a YouTube channel, maybe of of all of the the videos of where I've sinned, and, and what does the Lord do? He he forgives that. He erases that, as you pointed out, for the sake of Christ. And so to imagine that YouTube channel being published for everyone to see is is horrifying and and, and the other the other place that, that I think you, you get maybe a similar idea is is in the book of Revelation where where John is is seeing the the judgment and he describes it this is uh, Revelation 20 verse 12 it says I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne and books were open then another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Later down in verse 15, it gets back to that book of life. It says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into lake of fire. So the, the book of life, right, which is, is Christ, this is the, the key to our salvation. So, But imagine those other books where all of our deeds are written, being read out loud, and then there's no book of life. 
Uh, this is, I mean, this is this is just absolutely terrifying. You're exactly right, Pastor Preuss. Yeah, I'm. I, I whenever I think about, I think it's very healthy for us as Christians to uh, every once in a while just step back and look at the law and think to ourselves. I know it's a terrifying thought, but we must do it. Think to yourself, what if there were no Christ? What if there were no mercy seat? What if there were no bloodshed for me? What if there were no forgiveness? What if he said to us, I will never forget any of your deeds? What should that bring into your mind? And I think a lot of people today just don't want to, well, no, no, but God forgives me. And they don't consider and just sit and contemplate just for a second the terror that that would be. Um, and, and by not doing so, they actually steal from themselves a, a great comfort in hearing then about Christ. Um, you know, I don't want to get too much into that because I do think it's good for us to, as we're going through Amos, to, to really focus in on it, but uh, on this judgment. But yeah, this, this, is, this is life where God does not consider your uh, Savior, and that's life without Christ. That's life without you clinging to the, the Word by faith of, of your merciful Lord who, is, who practices steadfast love. Uh, and, and that's what he wants for you, but the constant rejection is why this is happening. Uh, and we'll get to this at the, at the end of our time together today, but this is why rejecting the Word of God is, is so terrible, is that this is what it brings about. Uh, you're rejecting the forgiveness of sins from the Lord who wants to give it, who delights in that, but their delight is in something else. Yeah, that, that pride that they're taking in themselves, rather than the pride in what the Lord is giving to them. This this is leading to this terrible scene that Amos is is unfolding for us. And, and so the Lord's swearing by himself that he's not going to forget their deeds. Their, the forgiveness that he's offered time and time again, the moment for that has passed. And instead, the, the consequences of that, you might say, is, is what he lays out next. And and there's all these signs that he lists that are going to happen in verses 8 through 10, especially. What do we see there, Pastor Preuss? Yeah, these signs of judgment, uh, and I, I like to think of them kind of as, as harbingers for Christ's cross and second coming, and, and we'll, we'll talk about that, how they kind of point forward to what, what is going to take place there. But the first thing he mentions is this uh, land trembling, uh, and the the land quaking, and that that's you know obviously the earthquake. But the, the imagery is is really uh, important for for them because he says, and all of it rise like the Nile and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt. So the Nile River will rise at flood stage, and then it'll it'll kind of spread out all the silt, and then it'll sink down again. And it just covers the entire Nile Delta. And then what, what they're saying, what he's saying here is that the ground beneath the feet of all Israel will, will heave and then fall. Uh, this is, this is uh, a sign of God's judgment. And if you remember from the very beginning, the first verse of uh, this book uh, and this prophecy uh, through Amos, it says the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. 
uh, when we think upon what it is uh, you should believe about a prophet and the words that he speak, well, if if the things he says are going to come to pass, come to pass, then he means he's a true true prophet, and and this comes to pass. And so there is uh, the judgment of of an earthquake, and then there's also this in the next verse you see. It says, on that day, declares the Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. Some will say this is an eclipse. Apparently there is some record from the Assyrians that say there was an eclipse that took place in 763 B.C. Uh, but others take it differently. One commentator, and I'd like to read what they say. I think it's it's quite good. Uh, they say the effect of the divine judgment upon the Israelites is depicted here. Just as the wicked overturn the moral order of the universe, so will the Lord with his judgment break through the order of nature, cause the sun to go down at noon, and envelop the earth in darkness in clear day. And so either way, what we see here with the earthquake and then the darkness at noon, this is confirming that Amos is a prophet, that Amos is speaking for the Lord as the Creator, uh, when these things take place. Uh, and I, I think I like to go to the Christological part of this, too, that, I mean, when we think about the darkness at noon, uh, this accompanied the suffering and death of Jesus. We see that in Matthew chapter 27. And we also see in that chapter that the earth shook and the rocks split when Jesus died. And so why was that happening? Well, Jesus was bearing uh, the deeds that the just Lord did not forget the deeds of the Israelites, the deeds of, of all of us as well. Um, and he was punishing those sins in the person of his incarnate Son instead for all of us. Uh, so these signs of judgment are signs of judgment not just for that uh, Assyrian, uh, when the Assyrians would destroy uh, Israel, but also they are what we call harbingers, or I guess uh, they're, they're typological in a sense that they're going to, uh, this is going to happen whenever there's judgment. So it happens at the cross of, of Jesus, but then we also hear when Jesus comes again, uh, these are the kinds of things that are, are mentioned, like the, you know, the stars and the moon, everything falling out of the sky. Uh, it's very much a, a sign of judgment that God's going to say, hey, listen, you're enjoying this creation so much, let me remind you that I'm the creator and that I control everything in it. So when it when it comes to the fulfillment in Amos's day, you've got the earthquake that's mentioned there in that first verse, and and, and whether you know you've got an eclipse or, or some other thing that's going on with the darkness, these things are fulfill, are fulfilled in Amos's day. They're fulfilled at Christ's cross on the day of Good Friday when our Lord dies. You've got the darkness in the middle of the day. You've got the earthquake again, and then thinking forward to Christ's second coming, though, should we expect? the earthquake, the darkness again in, in that very one-time event, or or is there maybe a different way of looking at it for Christ's second coming? Yeah, for Christ's second coming, it's it's more that, you know, it's very hard to navigate those sections of the judgment upon, in, in, when you look at, for example, Matthew 24, uh, where you hear about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD is the prophecy that we hear. But then you also hear in a next part about the destruction of the world. And so it is, it's hard for us to, uh, you know, look at the, the second coming of Christ uh, as, 
as that which, uh, you know, to know exactly how it's going to take place beyond what Scripture explicitly says. But these types of things are mentioned in the midst of judgment uh, for us to understand that the Creator is is going to uh, redo everything. He's, he's going to destroy that which is here and uh, bring about, as we know, in the judgment, a new creation. So this idea of, of taking creation and, and uh, showing that he is the creator and that he will destroy that which is evil and then uh, bring back that which is good is kind of the main point. Okay, so, so when, I mean, and I guess the reason I bring this up, and there's only about a minute left before the break here, so we, we can do this quickly, I think, but, you know, w- there are people still today that, that want to look at every earthquake or everything that happens as, as some sort of, I don't know, like, I can read the newspaper and figure out when Christ is going to come again, but that's that's not what you're saying, right? With, with about a minute, can you just tie a bow on that for us? Oh, sure, yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, there are those who would try to uh, take out of context all of the, you know, earthquakes and whatnot and say that there must have been some specific thing this people did so that God sending an earthquake to them, and then other people say, well, he didn't send one to us, and so it becomes a, a big issue of kind of prosperity gospel and uh, a, a theology of glory that uh, can, can really become prevalent in people's minds. Um, but what we should see is that, you know, all of these signs that are happening throughout Ever since the very since Christ ascended into heaven, there have been earthquakes, and of course, earthquakes should remind us that God is a God who will judge. But to attach any particular thing to, you know, condemnation that God's condemning them for this particular thing, we need to be very careful about that. But you, I think that's what you're getting at—that you'll see people do that. I think, uh, trying to think, maybe Pat Robertson or somebody like that said that when Haiti had their uh, big earthquake way back when. Uh, tried to attach that to some specific thing that they had done, and we we need to be careful about that. Is that kind of where you were going with that? Yeah, yeah, that that we're not supposed to attach sort of like that one specific thing, that's the Lord's condemnation for this, or, or something to that effect, but rather to, to see all of these as, as signs that the Lord is the Creator, He's going to renew His creation when Christ comes again, and that is the, the day that we are looking forward to. Uh, we're here on Sharper Iron, looking at Amos chapter 8, verses 7 through 14. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Wednesday, November 20th. We're looking at Amos chapter 8, verses 7 through 14 with Pastor Stephen Preuss of Trinity Lutheran Church in Benton, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, prior to the break, we'd looked at the Lord's oath that he makes by himself, the true pride of Jacob, his promise that he will not forgive their sins anymore, and then the signs of judgment that will come, and not only upon them, but also as signs that accompany Christ's uh, cross, as well as his second coming. And then as the prophet continues into verse 10, he, he he's not speaking so much about 
natural signs as he is what's going to to happen to the people now. So what's going on in verse 10? So their their feasts, you know, Amos has already gone gone after them, uh, obviously the Lord going after them uh, for for offering up sacrifices and and acting as if their worship is actually pleasing to him. Um, it's a lot reminiscent of, of the other prophets who, who say, you know, the Lord despises these things. And so he, he sees these people having feasts and, and singing their joyful songs, uh, and it's, it's syncretistic worship. It's, it's not real worship. It's, uh, it's worship that is mixing in uh, the heathen gods' uh, ideas of who God is and what he does, and trying to attach that to the Lord. And so he says, I'm going to take those feasts and those songs, and it's going to turn into a time of, of mourning for you, uh, lamentations. And uh, they, th- this coarse material of sackcloth, we, we know from many parts in Scripture uh, that it's mourning dress. It's, it's, it's a time for you to uh, be in sackcloth and ashes, we hear, uh, for example, in, in Jonah or in Job. Um, and it will, will replace their comfortable situation where they're just kind of dressed in, in the way that they want to in a comfortable way. And it shows that they should be in a, a position of, of mourning over their sin and what they have brought upon themselves by their own behavior uh, and their, their wicked deeds. The whole idea of them shaving their heads is actually something that the Lord doesn't desire. Uh, Deuteronomy 14 mentions that, but uh, I would assume that they had gotten this from and adopted this from the, the heathen nations as one of the customs for for mourning, um, and so you'll you'll you hear a little bit about that with the little sackcloth and the baldness, um, but then he he gets very specific about what kind of of mourning this is going to be like, and the image that he gives is a very uh, devastating image. And that is the mourning for an only son. And so you can think about a, a woman uh, weeping over her mourning, her, her only son. I think of like the widow at Nain, for example, who was going out with uh, her dead son. And she, of course, is a widow, and so she has no husband either. And the great, great sadness and emptiness and finality of it all. You know, this is not going to change. Um, and as we know with that, it's only through Jesus that it does change. So uh, this is what it's going to be like. It's going to be like the end of a bitter day. It's going to be, there's going to be no good. And this is what's going to happen to Israel. Uh, it will die by the hands of the Assyrians. So again, remember we had those first two visions where the Lord relents. But now we're, we're, we have the next two where he says nothing about relenting. Uh, this is going to happen. And... Uh, it's not like God has not been patient. It's not like God has not put up with a whole lot from them. Uh, and, you know, even when you have Uzziah, for example, in Judah, who, who puts all these, uh, you know, he's, he's supposed to be this good king, but there's also still all of this false practices going on down there. And then here in Israel, I mean, you've got so many of, of the, the syncretistic worship. They have, they have no idea uh, who the true Lord is. They, they've completely abandoned him, and the Lord's trying to show this to them. And, and I think that's where you can't, have, you can't have a part, I'm partly following the Lord and I'm partly following the other religions. 
you can only follow one or the other. As Jesus says, you'll, you'll end up loving one and hating the other. Uh, you can't serve both. So uh, this is what they're doing, and it's, it's, the, the, the judgment is going to be final, like the grieving over the death of an only son. Um, and go ahead. Well, I was say, and, and so, I mean, verse 10, where, where the Lord says, I'm going to do this. I will turn your feasts into mourning, your songs. He's going to bring upon them what they should have done in the first place, right? I mean, other than maybe the, the baldness of, of head, the, the matter of shaving the head is, is something they shouldn't have done in terms of the mourning. But these, these other things, that should have been the mourning that they would have had over their sin. That would have been the right response. But since they refuse to receive it as his gift through the law that condemns so that he might raise— now he's going to bring it upon them only in condemnation. Is, is that the sense that verse 10 is giving us? Yeah, and that, you know, whenever you think of judgment in all of Scripture, that's the way we should think of it, because the entire purpose of the law, when we look at the law as accusation, as that which uh, accuses us of our sin, uh, we know in this life the purpose of God accusing us of our sin is not so that he would leave us there and leave us in despair, but in preparation for receiving the gospel. So when you reject that in this day that God has given you, the only result then is going to be that you have to face his, his wrath and nothing but his wrath, because you have rejected his way of bringing you to see his salvation, uh, namely showing you your sin so that you might see him as your Savior. So he's definitely doing this here in such a way that he's showing them, yeah, this is what you should have been doing, and had you been doing it, uh, this destruction would not have come upon you. Uh, but it is a terrible, terrible destruction that will come upon them. Uh, and I, again, I mean, I I have three sons. I don't have just one son, but uh, to lose your only son um, is an exceptionally grievous thing. Uh, it's a bitter day, as it says here. Uh, so uh, they they should be doing that, and and if they won't do it, God ultimately will make them. Mm. Yeah, that 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 comment about the mourning like an only son is just adds to the tragedy of these verses. And and yet it, it would seem that we've got another connection that we can make to Christ there when we think of the mourning for an only son. Yeah, I think we need to remember that when Scripture uses this, this language, and it's all united as God's Word, that uh, we think Christologically that Christ is the only Son from heaven, right? And what does he do but takes this judgment much of the, again, we go back to the whole sun being going down at noon and, and darkening, the whole idea of the earthquake and this judgment uh, comes upon him. And and they mourn the only sun from heaven when he's on the cross and uh, and then buried. Um, and, and we know that that judgment was taken for us and that he is risen and he's ascended and he sits at God's right hand. Uh, but those who deny Christ will as we hear in Luke 21, they'll faint from terror at the judgment, but the believers will, in those those beautiful words we have at each Advent, lift up their heads because the redemption is drawing near. And so uh, the judgment, whenever we see this judgment, we should let it uh, sink into to see that all of the judgment that comes upon uh, the 
people of Israel here from the Assyrians that is now being uh, threatened, uh, but will come upon them, that it is not, uh, all, all of this judgment is meant to help us see what would come upon us in eternity were it not for uh, the only Son uh, from heaven, Christ himself, uh, who took that judgment upon himself for our sakes. Uh, and so mm-hmm. to cling to Christ uh, is, when, when I read this verse, I, I say, what, what, a, what a joy to know that I have Christ and that I will not be mourning uh, in this way eternally. Uh, and, and so many in Israel, too, who, who did trust, even though I mean, there was always a remnant uh, in, in the midst of God's uh, people who fell away, there were still those who, who were believers. And so though they might be mourning and there be, be nothing, yet in Christ we still have everything. So it, it is, you know, it's always good for us to return to Christ and see that Scripture is ultimately, as, as Jesus himself says, uh, testifying of him uh, and, and, and pointing us back to him and our need for him and, and so on and so forth. So, hmm. Yeah, and because, because otherwise, uh, apart from Christ, this, this is what we would have, and, and it only gets worse. And, and you know, we, we, we talked at length about how terrifying what the Lord swears is in verse 7, that, that he's not going to forgive, he's not going to forget any of their deeds that they've done. But, but verses 11 through 13, where we hear of a different kind of famine, Pastor Preuss sound just as terrifying, perhaps even more terrifying. Yeah, and the reason is because uh, the way we know God is him speaking to us. Uh, we know him through the word. And he says that he's going to send a famine, but not of bread, not a thirst of water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. And uh, that's why Jesus says so often, you know, and, and we hear it throughout in, in Revelation, too, for example, but he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, hear the word while you have time, because this, this, is, this is a terrible thing. He says that men will stagger, hungering for the word, but finding no profit from sea to sea, wherever they went. Uh, he mentions the beautiful young women, the strong young men. We should think of them as the most vigorous of all the people, but they even will faint. Uh, and, and the reason they're fainting, Luther brings this point out, that they should have been trained up in the word by their fathers, right? But their parents starved them by not teaching them that word of God. Uh, and so if these strong, vigorous young ones that he mentions, uh, this kind of imagery, if they fail, well, then what about the weak? I mean, nobody's got any shot here. Uh, God's going to take that word away. And that's the food for the soul. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And so this is being taken away from Israel completely. And this point brings Luther to speak on this. Um, he, he says this is the last blow. It is the worst, the most wretched of all. All the rest of the blows would be bearable, but this is absolutely horrible. Uh, and he, he goes on to say, he's threatening to take away the genuine prophets and the true word of God so that there is no one to preach, even if men were most eager to wish to hear the word and would run here and there to hear it. This happened to the Jews in the Assyrian captivity and in that last one. We must watch and pray lest that same famine be sent on us too. And so he, he goes on to talk about how, how much we have been, they had been blessed in their day in Germany with the grace of God's word and the abundance of God's word, but it's taken away. 
it's taken away time and again. He said it happened to the Jews, to the Greeks, to the Romans. Um, they abounded in the Word of God, and then the Word of God was taken away. And he says, if the Word of God's taken away, what else remains but the most terrible darkness of human reason, which wants to be our mistress and which can teach nothing else than the doctrine of demons? After all, what else would darkness teach except darkness and errors? There is no light except through faith in the Word. So he he makes it very clear, Luther does, when reading through this verse in Amos, that there is nothing worse than to have a famine of the Word of God. Uh, all of the other things that we have heard about in Amos pale in comparison to having no prophet, no pastor, no one to speak to you the words uh, of God's long gospel, uh, to give the promises of God to his people so that they might have hope uh, of salvation, of, of forgiveness, of eternal life, of knowing who God is and, and why his name is so, so wonderful. Uh, to not have that is to live in utter darkness and to be separated from a loving God. Um, I, it reminded me, I put this quote in our my notes that I sent to you that uh, Luther talked about what some people will call the, the passing shower of rain or the pelting rain. Um, and if you, would, if you don't mind me reading that quote, I think it's a, a very uh, applicable one here, too. Yeah, go, go ahead, because I, I think what, what this quote will bring out for us is the how, how do we get to that point? What, what is it that has led the Lord to utter such a harsh judgment that he would actually withdraw his word? And I, I think this quote from Luther really addresses the, the reason why the Lord gets to this point. So go ahead, Pastor Preuss. Yeah, and just so people know, this is from uh, 1524, I think, uh, and he's writing to the uh, Christian uh, councilmen in, in Germany and, and about schools and the children and teaching the children how important this is to teach children God's Word. And Luther says, Let us remember our former misery and the darkness in which we dwelt. Germany, I am sure, has never before heard so much of God's Word as it is hearing today. Certainly we read nothing of it in history. If we let it just slip by without thanks and honor, I fear we shall suffer a still more dreadful darkness and plague. Oh, my beloved Germans, buy while the market is at your door. Gather in the harvest while there is sunshine and fair weather. Make use of God's grace and word while it is there. For you should know that God's word and grace is like a passing shower of rain, which does not return where it has once been. It has been with the Jews, but when it's gone, it's gone, and now they have nothing. Paul brought it to the Greeks, but again, when it's gone, it's gone, and now they have the Turk. Rome and the Latins also had it, but when it's gone, it's gone, and now they have the Pope. And you Germans need not think that you will have it forever, for ingratitude and contempt will not make it stay. Therefore seize it and hold it fast, whoever can. For lazy hands are bound to have a lean year. It is a, a powerful word that Luther speaks in, in a very sobering reality as we look at what Germany is like uh, and has been for, for a while. Uh, it's a reality that the word of God, when abandoned, uh, is, is then uh, God has, provides a drought for us uh, and he brings it about. 
And it, it is like a passing shower of rain when we do not show thanks and honor, when we do not hold fast to it, uh, when we are ungrateful uh, and show contempt toward his word. Uh, it, is, it is only expected that that rain shower will pass on. And, uh, you know, you look at the, the, the United States of America, too, you know, and, um, and not just the United States of America. I think we need to be careful with making this about a country. You know, Luther mentions that just he was in the midst of Christendom, right? Um, we're not. We're in the midst of, you know, synods and, and church bodies, maybe it would be a, a more real way of thinking about this, that uh, we have the word. And if we do not take care of the word and do not uh, hold fast to the word, then we have nothing and we will lose it uh, because it is, as he says, a passing shower. Yeah, it's, it's very easy to get lulled into that, that false sense of security that, well, I'm, I'm not going to go to my church now or, or next week or, or, or then because it, it'll, it'll always be there for me to go to. And, and that's, not necessarily true that 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 congregation will always be there or that that faithful pastor will always be there for you to listen to it's a very very sobering thought to to imagine that the lord would stop speaking to us this has been one of the the points that several guests have have brought out for us is that the fact that the lord continues to speak to his people here in the book of Amos, even as they are words of judgment, the fact that he's still speaking means that he's still reaching out and attempting to get them to repent, to draw them back to himself. Here where he says, I'm not going to speak to you anymore, that that's just, that's awful. And I, I think it, it might have been with one of your brothers, Pastor Preuss, that I had this conversation when, when, when as, a, as a father and you're, you're the moment when you're angriest with your children and probably the, the time when they fear you the most is when you stop talking to them. When you're, when you're talking to them and even when you're disciplining them, they, they know that you're, you love them. But when you stop talking to them, that's, that's generally when, when it's the worst, that they've done, done the worst thing. And, and imagine that now with, with the Lord here. He, he threatens, he says he's not going to talk anymore. It's just, it's just, it's horrifying. Um, and it comes from this thanklessness, as Luther says. It comes from, as, as Amos gets to in the last verse that we've got today, this matter of idolatry, that they've been, they've been misusing his, his name. Uh, Pastor Preuss, further comments? Yeah, and I think that this is very applicable for us today, uh, because it's not that they just outright denied the word in the sense of, oh yeah, we don't want to have any of this talk of the Lord, they were mixing it in with false teachings, with, with the, the teachings of the other nations, and uh, therefore their worship was, was taking a turn. They were, their oaths were not uh, by the pride of Jacob, right, as we, we heard, but the, it, their oaths are mixed in with these other gods, and that's how he, he phrases it here, uh, that they swore by the guilt of Samaria, right? And so you have these, these idols at Bethel, uh, they say this is their pride, but that's actually, that's to their shame. They should not be be so prideful in the things that are actually to their shame. And I mean, just think about today and the pride that so many have in open shame and yet still want the name of Christian. And so uh, it is because of this idolatry and the mixing in. And I, I, I really 
become sensitive to this as a pastor, that a lot of times people think, oh, no, 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 it's the atheists who are the problem and not the Christians, and so why are you so af- going after all these false teachings in these other Christian churches? And you just look at, at some of these Christian churches out there and what they're promoting uh, and what they are, are, they are encouraging when it comes to uh, uh, marriage and um, just morality in general, but then just the Christless Christianity that's out there that's just more about moral improvement than is about the crucified Savior of sinners who took the judgment of God upon himself for our sakes. And you think to yourself, my goodness, they, they don't fear God, they don't want to serve him, they don't want to take their oaths by him, they want to mix it in, and this is what's happening there. They've got, you know, the golden calf of Jeroboam II set up at, or the first at Dan, um, uh, the swearing by the way of Bathsheba is the same thing. They're making pilgrimages to worship falsely, and they're ignoring the way of the Lord, right? So it's, our, our path should be enlightened by, by God. Uh, but now it's, it's, there's darkness. There is God being silent. Uh, and it, the whole reason that this is happening is because they don't want to listen to him. They don't want to hear his word. They despise preaching and his word, and they do not gladly hear and learn it. The third commandment hasn't changed, uh, and this is this is why for us today, you know, it's not just about going to church; it's about actually taking to heart what it is you you are hearing there and receiving there, uh, and that is the salvation of the Lord. Uh, we must see the importance if we're going to see anything through this, uh, instead of just a history lesson. We should remember the importance of seeing that the day of salvation and of hearing the word of God is now; it's today. You don't know if you have tomorrow. You have today. And you have Jesus today in that word. You have that repentance that is being brought about by God's law and, and seeing the severity of his judgment and the terror that it would bring upon us without his word. Flee to that word. And you have a merciful God, a Lord who, who doesn't want to bring this terror upon you, um, but has provided the way of escape through his son. So, you know, I applied that a little bit here to today. Uh, just because I think it, it, it hits so hard when we think about this famine of the word. You just pray, Lord, never let your word be taken away from me. Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. You know, all the hymns that we have uh, so that we might take it to heart and, and, and pray to God uh, that this word remains among us and our children so that they might know the salvation of the Lord. Yeah, Lord Jesus Christ with us abide is another hymn that that would just be so appropriate uh, of a prayer when it comes to this this matter as well. Pastor Price, we have just under two and a half minutes left here on the morning. Um, concluding thoughts help us to to hold this text together and, and to to see Christ for us today in the day of salvation. Right. So in the day that this was given to Amos, uh, it was a very real thing that they had denied the word of the Lord to the point that the Lord was going to mete out his judgment upon them through the Assyrians, and it was going to be of such judgment that they had never seen to the point where it would be final, and they would not come back from this like they had been a, a nation before. And, and to hear about that judgment should remind us in the Christian church today that the reason that this came upon them was because they denied the word of the Lord and they mixed in the false teachings and false religions 
Uh, today, you might say psychology and philosophy and, and sociology and all the other things that people try to mix in to confuse people about what the theology of, of the, you know, what the Bible is all about. Uh, and so what can we learn from this today? The only way for us to continue to be steadfast with our Lord is that we might call upon his name in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks, and, and not despise his word, but gladly hear it and learn it. Hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. This is going to give us Christ, because that is what God does in his word. Yes, he brings judgment here, but his desire is to give you his son. That is his desire, is to forgive you all of your sins for the sake of the blood that he shed. He took judgment upon himself. That's why those signs of judgment, the darkness and the earthquake, happened when Christ died. He took your judgment so that when you baptized and trusting in him, appear, when he appears on the, in the second coming, uh, you will not face his judgment and damnation, but you will face your redemption, the one that you cling to. So may that word be upon our, our hearts and on our lips and, and, and most certainly in our ears uh, so that we might have that comfort even as we hear this rather dark uh, text from, from Amos today. Pastor Stephen Preuss is the pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Vinton, Iowa, helping us this morning with Amos chapter 8, verses 7 through 14. Pastor Preuss, thank you for your time. Thank you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.